past the town of tribulation and straight on to Daring Do, chapter 10. Ma turned the pages of my log, sometimes laughing, sometimes gasping as the story unfolded. I'd included a sketch map showing the place where the binoculars and the carrier bag had been found. On one page, there was a description of Tinker and Tatler, fine antiques, showing Mr Tinker with a toad's head. But the page that I was most proud of made Ma roar with laughter. It showed PC Rains sitting in the reeds and was entitled Wet by Name and Wet by Nature. I'd not been looking forward to our Friday visit, but here was the cheerful, lively Ma that I loved so much. The colour had returned to her cheeks and there was a twinkle in her eye. She also seemed to be less tired and suggested that we went for a walk after lunch. She held my hand as we walked down the street towards the town. Thank you for being so good about staying with Grandma. It's been really helpful, but I have missed you, she said. You shouldn't have to stay for much longer. I have a visit to the hospital the week after next, and if all goes well, you might be able to come home for the last two weeks of the holiday. Oh, I said, trying to sound pleased. Only two more weeks at Grey Malkin Cottage, I thought. Only two more weeks of Grandma, Dotty, Billy-O, Boat Boy Bob and the Fiona, of course. I was so quiet on the drive back to my grandmother's house that after about ten minutes she said, A penny for them? What? I asked. A penny for your thoughts, she repeated. I began slowly. Ma says that I might be able to go home in two weeks' time and... And you don't want to go, she said. She didn't need to give me a penny for my thoughts because she already knew them. Don't worry, she said cheerily. There's still plenty time for daring do. She could have no idea how true her words would prove to be. On Thursday of the third week of the holiday, it was becoming obvious that Grandma was planning something. A man met us at the Fiona and carried out a service on the engine, while Grandma, Bob and I hoisted the mainsail and checked it for damage. I found a wasp's nest in here after one winter, she explained, as the great white sail flapped above us. Fortunately, except for a dead spider, there was nothing in the canvas this time. We'll have fish and chips in the clubhouse for supper tonight. I want to check the navigation lights when it starts to get dark, she said. Perhaps it was the mention of fish, but Dotty sat up and stretched her front legs, arched her back and peered over the boat's edge at the shoals of brown trout swimming by. Time for a swim, said Grandma. The little cat chirped loudly at the sight of small dog, standing patiently as the straps were tightened under her belly. Her swim brought the usual crowd of onlookers with their cameras. They clapped as she swam backwards and forwards and cheered loudly as Grandma finally hoisted her back on board. After lunch, Bob and I rowed up the canal, returning to the Fiona at about two o'clock. There was still a lot of time until supper, so Grandma suggested that we took a tin of ship's biscuits to Billio. He was on watch as usual, sitting in his chair and looking out onto the river.
From time to time he would lift his binoculars and scan from the bridges downstream to the great horseshoe bend at Orr, sometimes stopping to focus on one spot when something caught his interest. What do you see out there? I asked, wondering what could be so interesting day after day. What do you see out there? he asked. I considered for a moment and then replied, I see the river flowing past, seagulls on sandbanks at low tide. I see the wind turbine on the opposite bank and a small yellow yacht below the Severn Bridge. He seemed pleased with my reply. Well, that's more than most people see, he added. Now let me tell you what I see. I see the sand shifting day by day, and I take note of how the channel of safe passage changes slightly. Not much, but enough to catch out an unwary sailor. I see the way the wind over tide whips up a maelstrom when the conditions are right, and I keep an eye on the silt building up behind the lock gates and let the harbour master know that he's going to have trouble getting them to open and close. Wow, said Bob, will you teach us about those things? Billy O laughed. Let me tell you what else I see, and then perhaps you'll understand what you need to learn to find out about the ways of the water. He paused for a moment and closed his eyes. I see a young un, probably no older than you, granddaughter, pushing his first dinghy down that slip. I see him five minutes later, upside down and scrambling to right his boat and get back on board. He chuckled. I'd never been so wet in my life before, but I have been many times since, he continued. Then I see a young man taking cargo back and forth on the old trows until the river became too awkward and forced him to take passage round into the English Channel. In Portsmouth, he joined up and served for more than 30 years in the Royal Navy. I see that same man, not so young now, coming home and taking his first yacht, about the same size as the Fiona she was, although not as pretty, up and down, in and out of the old harbour, until his old bones creaked and his lungs got too full of sea salt. Now I see an old man who watches the river, and is still learning about its awkward ways. Billio seemed to be happy when he talked about the river and the sea, so I asked him to share some of his adventures. We lost track of time as he told us stories of storms in the North Sea and sharks in the Southern Ocean, of pirate attacks off Borneo and shipwrecks off Cape Horn and of walls of water that towered above the ship's bridge one minute and lifted you as high as a mountain the next. As the sun sank low in the west, my head was so full of the pictures that he had painted of his life at sea that I did not notice that Grandma had returned. As she parked near to the pier, she held up a carrier bag and called across to us, Supper! Reluctantly, I left Billio's tales of his fantastic adventures and ran to help my grandmother, who was juggling car keys, fish and chips and Dottie's leash. Will you join us, William? she asked. There's plenty for everyone. Kind of you, Captain's wife, he answered. But I'd be keeled hauled by the chief steward if I was late for my supper. 
Bilio lived with his sister and often joked that he was master and commander in all things except for the galley, which was under her rule. The light was fading and he would soon make his way home to the cosy cottage they shared on the edge of town. Grandma, Bob and Dotty and I went up the narrow staircase of the old shipwright's house. It now served as the clubhouse. From the window of an upstairs room, we watched the water ebbing away down river and the exposed sandbanks glowing in the dying rays of the sun. After we had finished eating, we cleared the remnants of our meal and were about to close the door and go downstairs when the phone in the office began to ring. Grandma hesitated for a moment at the top of the stairs. Probably a wrong number, she said, moving on to the second step. But then something made her turn back. We heard her answer. The Yacht Club, can I help you? The cheerfulness left her voice and from the look on her face we knew that something terrible had happened. Oh no, she exclaimed. I'll do my best. Having replaced the receiver, she reached behind the door and took a key from the hook marked Safety Boat Hut. Key must be returned after use. She was trying to remain calm, but I could tell from the small tremor in her voice that she was anxious about something. Put Dotty in the car, she said to me. I don't think she can join me on this voyage. As we went out into the harbour, she explained that the call had come from the Coast Guard. He had told her that he had received a mayday call from a yacht that had run aground about a hundred metres from the North Pier. Lifeboats had been launched, but they were about ten minutes away. He was concerned for the safety of two people on board as the tide was about to turn and their boat was likely to sink. By now we had reached the safety boat hut on the edge of the slipway. Unfastening the padlock, Grandma ran her hand along the wall in search of a light switch. Life jackets, she said. We need life jackets and I can't find them in the dark. There's a torch on the Fiona, but every second counts and there's no time to go and fetch it. A noise like a toy trumpet came from the doorway. Well, it's a good job I'm here, wheezed Billio, as he reached above the door and flicked a switch. The neon strip flickered for a moment and then flooded the hut with light. As soon as we were wearing the life jackets, we set about launching the rib that was used as the safety boat. It was less than five metres in length and sat on a trailer. Between the four of us, we managed to manoeuvre it to the top of the slipway. Oh, puffed Grandma. How can something that's so full of air be so heavy? As she did so, the trailer took off at a pace and the boat splashed into the small pool of water at the bottom of the slipway. All aboard, commanded Billio. You're not coming, insisted Grandma. No time to argue, Captain's wife. I don't see anyone here who knows this river as well as I do. Turning to Bob and I, he gave the order. Young'uns, sit on the tubes and hold as tight as you can onto the ropes. They're not coming, protested Grandma. But it was too late. With Captain William O'Donnell at the helm and the outboard motor roaring into life, we headed out round the pierhead. Almost immediately we saw a 40-foot yacht lying on its side on the sandbank. It was on the other side of the harbour wall. In the twilight she looked like a great beached whale, a hull faced 
towards us and we could just make out her keel, most of it which had been buried when it had sliced into the sands. IT's mine was written on her stern and Billy-O shook his head and marvelled at the strange names people gave their boats nowadays. His had been called the lovely Molly after a girl he'd been sweet on when he was a boy. As we drew close, he told Bob that he was going to turn the safety boat so that it was facing back towards the pier and that he was to be ready to reach out and hold onto the yacht's keel to prevent us from being swept back up the river when the tide turned. Ahoy there, Billy Osh called out when we were in position. We've come to rescue you. Tie a mooring line to one of your cleats and throw the other end down to the captain's wife here and she'll hold it steady. It was almost dark now, but high above us we could see two pale faces peering nervously over the side. Heavens to Betsy, they've sent the old man of the sea and his wife and two kids to rescue us. I think we'd rather stay put, the voice said. I thought that Billio would have been offended by this, but instead called up, Just be thankful we didn't bring the cat. Then he continued more seriously, We've got a few minutes of slack water, then the tide will rush in and flood your boat. I knew that slack water was the short time when the tide stood still before changing direction, and I began to worry that when it did, it might push the large boat onto us. Couldn't you come around, a woman's voice said. I could walk across the sand and get into your boat more easily that way. Doesn't want to get her expensive deck shoes wet, muttered Billy O under his breath, and then not too patiently called out. If I come round, I'll be stuck on the sand, and as for walking on it, it's not the French Riviera. You'd be up to your waist before you've taken two steps. This seemed to convince the woman that she might be safer doing as she was told, and we watched as a mooring line was thrown over the side, followed by two legs. Holding tightly to the rope, she shuffled down the hull and onto our boat. Grandma held the other end of the line, and once on board, Billio told her to sit next to me on the tube and act as ballast. "'Now you, sir!' he shouted up to the man. "'I'll wait for the lifeboat,' came the reply. "'I can see its lights coming up the river.' There was a small gap between the keel and the sand through which Bob had a view as far down as the bridges. They're quite a way off, he said to Billio. I reckon five to ten minutes. At that moment, the water beneath us started to churn and Bob struggled to keep hold of the yacht's keel. The tide's turned, Billio shouted up to the man. It's now or never. As he said this, the tide lifted the IT's mine a few inches before slamming it back down on the sand. This had the desired effect. The man's legs appeared over the side and he scrambled frantically down the upturned hull and onto the safety boat. Immediately, Billio gave the command. Right, Bob, push us off. Our boat was much heavier now, but his experience at the helm and his understanding of the tide and the sand soon brought us back round the pierhead. The sight that greeted us was different from the one we had left. Lights blazed from every quarter as cars had been brought to the top of the slipway, their headlights illuminating our passage. Many hands were ready to haul us out of the water when we reached the bottom of the slip and a loud cheer went up as we came ashore. 
Apparently, after the Coast Guard had spoken to Grandma, he'd contacted the harbour master, who in turn had contacted the Commodore, who in turn had contacted everybody who lived nearby. I recognised Mr Williamson, who had heard about the yacht on his radio, and as he lived close by, was determined to get a scoop, as he called it. He took photograph after photograph as we came ashore, and then asked for us to pose in front of the safety boat for one last shot. Grandma began frantically sorting through her pockets and then finding what she was looking for, applied a coat of bright red lipstick. Well, she said, winking at me, a girl has to look her best. Suddenly I remembered that we had left Dottie in the car and was worried that all the noise and commotion must be terrifying for the little cat. In the back window, I could see the silhouette of her head and two bright pinpoints of light reflected in her wide eyes. Wait for one minute, I said, running to the car. I was greeted with a loud chirp as I picked her up and carried her back to the safety boat. I might have guessed that you would not miss the chance to have a photograph taken, joked Mr Williamson. Dottie sat on the prow of the boat with Grandma and Billy on either side and Bob and I nearly in front. Just like the Queen of Sheba, said Grandma. Who's the... I started to say, but then looked at the little cat's regal pose and didn't need to ask. (laughs) 